Welcome to the Houston Healthcare Initiative podcast. My name is Harold Nickel. There are currently 120 coronavirus COVID-19 vaccines in development and a race to be the first one available for the public. Being first with this vaccine will mean big rewards for the maker in the form of profits and scientific prestige. Along with these developments, there is political pressure to not only be first, but be first by election day. Regardless, the benefits of a vaccine for this extremely contagious virus will ultimately accrue to the public. But nothing is foolproof, and there will be problems with this vaccine because there were with all the rest of them. And when there are problems, who is ultimately responsible, and how can the public find justice? Now, to know better what the possible risk-benefit for a vaccine to the COVID-19 virus is, and help us understand the possible downside and the upside is respected Houston neurologist, Dr. Stephen Goldstein. And so, Dr. Goldstein, um, like with just about everything else this year, the, the public is reviewing another piece of medical information that would not typically interest anybody, and that is something called vaccine liability waivers. What are these? Vaccine liability waivers are really what the name implies, which is that vaccine makers are not generally held responsible for injuries their vaccines may cause. This is notable because it is the only part of the healthcare industry where such protection exists. It's likely there will be a vaccine for the COVID-19 virus in the next few weeks or even months. What does liability waiver mean for anyone who takes the COVID-19 or, or any other vaccine? It means that the companies that make these vaccines cannot be sued for monetary damages unless the person who died or was seriously injured can demonstrate that the company engaged in, quote, willful misconduct, unquote. Or another way of saying that is that they knew their product was dangerous and used it anyway. It's really hard to prove willful misconduct and can be satisfied only if a plaintiff can prove the manufacturer purposely caused harm by disregarding a known or obvious risk. Okay, so in other words, we are all asked to trust the pharmaceutical companies to deliver a safe vaccine in record time for a new or novel virus, and that the public has no or very little possibility of legal redress if they suffer negative side effects. Is, is that what I'm hearing? Well, that's one way of looking at it. But another way is that any vaccine is developed and regulated like other drugs. In the case of the coronavirus vaccine, there will be some added scrutiny at the end of the approval process, given how many people were receiving that vaccine. But the speed at which this vaccine is developed is most remarkable and a little nerve-wracking. How so? Vaccine development is a complex process that takes a lot of time, like years. And like I said a moment ago, vaccines are developed, tested, and regulated the same as other drugs, but even more so. This is because the number of people in vaccine clinical trials are usually greater, and those who receive vaccines are are more in number than those who receive or take other prescription drugs. In addition, post-licensed monitoring of vaccines is closely examined by the Centers for Disease Control and the FDA. So while liability waiver exists, All the other pharmaceutical safeguards are in place. I guess if I get a vaccine or any other type of medicine, my expectation is that 
it will work the way it's supposed to. And if it doesn't, me or my family, we've got access to the courts. But that's not the case with vaccines. How come? First, regardless of expectations, no medical treatment is completely risk-free. Vaccines are made to protect us from disease, but they can have negative side effects. Most are pretty mild, like soreness in the arm from the injections. Others can be more serious. Starting with the Salk vaccine in the 1950s through the 70s and 80s, lawsuits against vaccine makers increased to the point that there was only one diphtheria pertussis tetanus vaccine, the DPT shot, uh, in the U.S. So in 1986, the Congress responded to the situation in the vaccine market by passing the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. This act included a number of regulations related to informed consent and adverse event reporting, but also removed many of the monetary recovery options that were putting the industry out of business. Okay. If you don't mind, what were some of those regulations? Well, the act required that providers administering certain vaccines provide a vaccine information statement to the recipient of the vaccine or their parent or legal guardian. The, this statement lists all the risks and benefits of a particular vaccine. Uh, this act also established a system for reporting suspected vaccine-related adverse events. The system known as the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, uh, uh, VAERS. On top of that, the Act contained provisions for a program that would fairly and efficiently compensate individuals harmed by certain vaccines that were properly manufactured. If it worked like it was supposed to, such a system would stabilize the legal environment for manufacturers, allowing them to limit their liability, better anticipate their legal costs, reduce potential barriers to research into new vaccines. And let me add, without these rules, it is unlikely anyone in the U.S. would be researching a COVID-19 vaccine. Yeah, I, I can see that the burden of legal challenges, losing in court and paying damages, that, that would really put a damper on, on vaccine develop, development. But, you know, I can also see someone gets injured or killed by a vaccine. They still deserve their day in court. but it sounds like what you've described is a is a compromise that keeps the vaccine companies from going under and delivers at least some remedies if things should go wrong. Well, that's a pretty good summary. The U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Human Services established the system, the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, in 1988. This is funded by a tax of 75 cents per vaccine dose collected from vaccine manufacturers by the U.S. Department of the Treasury. This uh, NVICP does not cover all vaccines. However, vaccines routinely given to children as part of the recommended immunization schedule are included, and some adult vaccines are covered as well. Under this program, those claiming a vaccine injury from a covered vaccine cannot sue a vaccine manufacturer without first filing a claim with the U.S. Court of Federal Claims. Certain medical events are presumed to be side effects of vaccination as long as no other cause is found. The claim filer is reimbursed according to a formula, provided that all the medical records meet the, the Act standards and that review by the U.S. Department of Justice determines that all legal standards have been met. 
if a claim is denied or if the claim is approved and the claimant rejects the compensation, only then may the claimant file a civil lawsuit. Okay, so now that we all understand the rules and the reasons for them, let's discuss the effectiveness of, of any vaccine. Is there a good way to know if a vaccine is worthwhile or will at least make it to the human testing phase? Yes. The minimum requirement by the FDA for any COVID-19 vaccine is that it should at least prove 50% effective when compared with a placebo, that is, somebody who's just getting a, a shot of saline. Okay. 50% or like half, that <laughs> that seems low. I would have thought that um, that this number would be a lot a lot higher. How how does it compare with other vaccines? Well, the annual flu vaccine is a success when it is forty to sixty percent effective. So fifty percent is right in the same range as the flu vaccine. But to your point, the measles vaccine is over ninety percent effective. Okay. Well, I like the ninety percent way better, but I understand the the uh, flu vaccine comparison. But let's get back to the coronavirus vaccine and the, and the timing for it. You had said earlier that developing vaccines takes years, um, but we also learned that the coronavirus vaccine is already in human trials after just a few months. How, how did that happen? Well, given the urgent need for a vaccine to help end the pandemic, some vaccine developers are compressing the clinical process by running trial phases simultaneously. Dr. Anthony Fauci said that independent data and safety monitoring boards can end trials early if their intimate results are overwhelmingly positive or negative. So that is another time saver. At the same time, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has promised to fast-track the approval process for a COVID-19 vaccine. But they have also said that there are far more rigorous standards in place than is typical for the emergency use authorization process for this vaccine. So again, a couple of well-placed regulatory adjustments help keep the vaccine on the fast track without too much compromise to the public's health. So getting the vaccine developed, approved, and manufactured is kind of one thing, but getting it to the public is, is another. How will the logistics of an operation like this get done? Well, the Trump administration says it's asking the states to establish vaccine distribution sites by November 1st. But according to the air freight industry, while delivering from 50 million to 2 billion doses of a vaccine will be incredibly challenging, they are in the midst of planning for air delivery around the world. Mm. Is there any way to know who might get the vaccine first? Well, it's thought that healthcare workers and those who deliver care will probably be first in line. First responders like police, firemen would come next, and then people with underlying conditions who are over the age of 65 would follow. Okay. Well, um, with the time remaining, Dr. Goldstein, do you want to make a prediction on when a vaccine for the COVID-19 virus might be available? Well, I'm going to quote from uh, that great American philosopher, Yogi Berra who said that uh, predictions are very difficult, especially when they're about the future. <laughs> I'm not terribly good at predicting the future, but uh, it's said that it could be by January 2021. Well, um, I can't compete with Yogi Berra, and he was a great American philosopher. And um, thank you, Dr. Goldstein, for, for helping us out and 
And like we said, um, there's dozens of vaccines under development and a lot of them in advanced stages of approval with, with human trials. That the government streamlined some of the requirements without compromising safety to help advance development, I think is pretty remarkable. But nothing in the world of medicine is without risk, as you heard Dr. Goldstein say, and the ultimate introduction of the coronavirus vaccine is certainly no exception. The laws and regulations, at least for now, seem to strike a good balance between what protects the public and aids in the faster delivery of a vaccine. Thank you for listening to us this week. Tell your friends about the Houston Healthcare Initiative podcast and come back next time for another edition of the Houston Healthcare Initiative podcast.